everybody and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for March 2019. Great to have you along as always and for the next half an hour we're going to have a chat about a variety of topics starting with the Blackpool Convention. Um, it's been about three years I guess since I had a stand at the Blackpool Convention with for Mark Leverage Magic and um, the main reason for this of course is the fact that I don't sell any physical products anymore only digital downloads and so having a stand is slightly redundant when it's you can't actually hand anything to any customer over the counter as it were Uh, but magic scene still has a stand and obviously I have a vested interest in that as well and so I still attend for a couple of the days of the convention and uh, have a meeting with the other magic scene guys Graham and Phil to uh, set out what we're going to do for the next year uh, and also to uh, to help them a little bit uh, and also to meet and greet and have various meetings with people uh, it's it's still great fun to go and it, it is an amazing event isn't it I mean the size of it this year once again seemed to be even larger you you, you do wonder that every year they say there's there are more and more people are attending and you think well maybe that's just hyperbole just to make it sound successful but it really did appear to be even busier this year with on a number of occasions um, people registering for the day the, the queue stretching right out of the door of the winter gardens there were so many people trying to get in and uh, and I have to say, having organised small magic events myself, I can only begin to imagine the complexity of trying to uh, evolve this type of massive event into something that it's become. Because the organisation required and the number of different elements that need to come together... Uh, is uh, is pretty awe-inspiring and I know they have a number of people to do it it's a it's a committee thing but nevertheless I I do admire the way that they uh, they managed to bring it all together the fact that they they book such a stellar lineup of course is um, well in a way is partly to do with the fact that because so many people go they have the finances to buy the services of almost anybody that they want to employ provided that they're free so from that point of view, I suppose that is not necessarily the issue that uh, that gets my admiration. But it's it's more the nitty gritty, the small things. And one of the things that I noticed this year was um, they obviously, with so many people attending and them not wanting to allow, not unreasonably, people who haven't paid to get in, they get a bit fed up when they, they have examples pointed out to them where people have been swapping badges uh, and that sort of thing. So get more people in, but not paying for the full number of people who attend. And so this year they instigated uh, one of the uh, a sort of gold wristband, which um, you were supposed to put on and keep on for the entire convention. And every time that you went into the Winter Gardens, you had to show not only your badge were hanging around your neck, but also this wristband. And uh, I think there was a lot of comment made about this wristband on social media, I think, and um, not all of it very complimentary. Uh, And I have to say that I can't say I liked it. Um, I felt slightly criminalised by the fact that I was having to wear this thing for three days. And uh, it didn't seem quite right somehow. It It wasn't convenient. And it would be nice if they could find a a better way to do that. Um, I mean, maybe something, photo IDs on on the badges, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that would be a solution so that people don't have to wear a wristband. Um, You would have thought that maybe there must be some other solution that is not 
high tech because of the costs involved, but is more low tech perhaps. And so that they, the staff, the security staff on the doors can still cope with the vast numbers of people going in and out. So it needs to be something quick and easy for them to administer. But, uh, but that, I mean, that's a, that's a small gripe. Um, other than that, um, I think the event was, as ever, fantastically successful. And the number of dealers in, seem, who were there seemed to be greater than ever. Um, and the other thing that, uh, incidentally, I meant to mention about the organisation of the, of, the, uh, of the convention is the fact that, of course, over the last couple of years, um, the Winter Gardens itself has been going under uh, a process of renovation and improvement. Uh, and this has caused Blackpool, no doubt, a headache because they've had to keep changing where things are cited and where lectures are taking place and where the dealers are and so on and so forth. Uh, and this can't have been easy, trying to make sure they can accommodate everything that they need to do for the convention in the space that is currently available while the renovations are going on. So well done, the Blackpool boys. Another big, big success, I'm sure. And uh, we'll all be queuing up, ready to come again next year. One of the lectures that I attended at Blackpool was the Morgan and West lecture. Um, I'm quite quite a big fan of theirs. I, I think the way they approach stuff is uh, very individual. It's, they're very entertaining and, and they work incredibly well as a duo. And uh, I wondered actually what they were going to do in their lecture really, whether it was going to be a lecture full of theory perhaps because they have um, quite firm opinions about how people should perform, how they should develop character and, and so on, or whether it was going to be tricks. And of course, in the 45 minutes or so that they were, that was allocated to them, they they did a little bit of both. And the thing that struck me was um, not so much the tricks, although the tricks were fine, but um, the way that they had, in particular with the multiplying bottles routine that they did, the way that they had taken a classic trick and they'd managed to completely look at it again and revamp it in order to make it more logical more magical uh, and funnier now the classic multiplying bottles obviously tommy cooper virtually made a career out of the thing uh, and lots of people have gone about it in a similar way to the way that he presented it or the original sort of uh, handling that was given with the instructions when the thing was uh, started to be sold and what Morgan West did and, and which is a very good uh, example of, of a good way to go about looking at especially classic magic tricks that have been around for a long time was that they took the trick and they, and they realised that for them it just, it just didn't work it was just a lot of repetition it didn't really have much of an ending uh, so I really liked the way they talked us through the thought process that had gone on. The way they'd, okay, what is the what are the elements of this trick that are strong? How can we use the gimmicks in a way that makes sense of the handling? Uh, and so on and so forth. And it was an object lesson in how putting some thought into something can sometimes produce something much better. And I thought, obviously, they are a double act. So they the presentation that they... Um, had come up with was very much peculiar and particular to them but nevertheless the principle of taking a trick and saying okay this is how everybody does it do you have to do it that way is there a better way and actually thinking about it and thinking about the method the the, the logic of the presentation the objects that are used perhaps the method itself 
Can it be tweaked to make it more convincing, to make it more practical and so on and so forth? Doing those things to, to can sometimes produce, if you think about it in the right way, something much better and improved. And I certainly thought that their, their multiplying bottles presentation was way better than the original. I've never been a big fan of the original. It always seemed just, well, almost obvious about what was going on after a while. But with theirs, there were, there were subtle touches. It was funny and it had a proper ta-da moment at the end. And, and as such, I thought it was a much better performance piece for lay people. So that was the takeaway that I got from their lecture. The, the way that you can take even tricks that are very well established. In the, something like the chop cut, the linking rings. It could be any of these major things. I think it's okay. Everybody's doing it like this or nearly everybody's doing it in this particular way. Is there a better way? And by thinking about it, sometimes you can come up with something that's a real improvement. When you're a commercial performer, one of the things that you're always trying to achieve is to get your audiences perhaps to remember who you are. One of the ways that I go about it is to wear a name badge. It seems fairly simple, a sort of smart name badge on my jacket and so that when I'm performing at tables or for groups in a mix and mingle situation, people look at the badge and then I found that they will often start talking to me and using my name because it's right in front of them so there's a there's a chance perhaps that they will remember that uh, that it was me who performed them as opposed to a another magician because this is what you find isn't it if you if you perform close up to lay people and they chat to you they will often before you have a chance to start doing what you want to do they'll often say oh oh you're a magician brilliant do you know i saw this magician once and he did this amazing thing they then describe this trick that the person did and you say oh that sounds fantastic who was that and they often can't remember so anything that you can do to get your name across i think is a good thing i noticed that in the january edition of the magic circular in ian brennan's column he was talking about exactly this and was suggesting a number of different ways that you could make yourself memorable. It might be from the way that you were perhaps dressing. It might be the type of tricks that you did. But one idea he had was that you should say your name in your patter. And I thought, yes, actually, I, I do do this a bit. But his particular way of doing it was, I thought, rather odd. What he suggests is that you refer to yourself in the third person. So, for instance, and he gives some examples of patter that he would use in order to get his name, which is Ian, obviously Ian Brennan, into his act. And some examples where he would say things like, take a card for yourself and give the pack back to Ian. Or, which shell is the pea under? Ian would guess the one on the left. It's fine to let Ian borrow your watch. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ian. Say hello to Ian. So this is his way of shoehorning his name into it. And uh, and I thought this was peculiar. Uh, he admits that it is an artificial way to do it and, uh, and that it will feel odd when you first try it. Um, I think it would feel odd all the time that you tried it. And every time that you said it, it would it would sound pretentious, to be honest. And I can't understand why he thinks this is a subtle way to get your, your name across. Nobody talks in that way. Um, I can't see why he would suggest that that's a good idea. 
there are ways to get your your name into into patter and um and i've come up with a couple of ways for one or two tricks that i do in the past and i've seen others do it too but this doesn't really seem to me to be the way to do it i can't see that this would have a lasting impression other than the fact that it might make you sound well quite frankly a bit odd so the principle of getting your name in as i say i think is a good one but in the third person have you ever done that would it feel right to put your name into patter like that i'm not sure it would would it especially if you only did it a bit and suddenly you were referring to yourself in the third person and then for the next load of patter you didn't and then you did again and i'd rather have a wear a badge as i mentioned earlier and just let people see it than try and shoehorn the patter in in that way um, one way that i did um, get it in is i have um, an akito box routine which is called the walkabout coin box routine and um, and i get my well, i often do this in walkabout and i get my name into this one by i hand out the box to be examined and i say that box i say that box is called the mark leverage coin box it's called the mark leverage coin box because well i'm mark leverage and it's my box it's all making sense really oh and here's the coin so now that to me is a better way to get my name repeated two or three times when i first meet a group than it is to refer to myself in the third person all the time which simply seems to be very odd but nevertheless maybe you think no actually i think i could do that give it a try see whether it works or not uh, and whether it does help people to remember who you are or whether they only remember you because you were the weird person who referred to yourself in the third person all the time but if they do remember you for that well maybe it's job done then one of the things that members of my online magic club eclub pro get in the middle of each month is a special video presentation called mark's monthly message in which i take a topic to something to do with magic and i discuss it and give advice on it and i think over the years i've built up quite a library of informational videos so i thought it might be interesting now to put the audio track in from one of the recent marks monthly messages and the one that i've chosen which i thought you might find interesting is all to do with how to judge what time to arrive at a booking because there are a number of different things you may want to take into consideration for that for that and so i'm going to put that audio track in now so that you can get the information and hopefully you'll enjoy listening to it now i don't know about you but i'm one of those people who can't bear to waste time I'm a busy person, I have a lot of things I want to do every day, and indeed every week and every month, things that are scheduled in, and uh, I hate it when I feel that I'm just sort of marking time or wasting time. And one of the occasions when there is um, a big opportunity to waste time is travelling to shows and arriving at shows. You see, for me, for instance, if I'm doing a kid's show, I only need about six or seven minutes to get ready at the most. So if I'm doing a kids show starting at three o'clock, to arrive at two o'clock is a complete waste of my time. By five past two, I'm ready pretty much. And then I'm standing around for 55 minutes with nothing to do. Meanwhile, the, the parents of the, of the birthday child are no doubt rushing around trying to do all the last minute things that they need to do before the guests arrive. 
and I feel like I'm in the way and they, I'm probably thinking to myself, I expect they're wondering why I'm here. If I can get ready this fast, why am I here so early? So it, it, I hate that sort of idea of standing around being um, in the way and not being able to do anything for all that amount of time. And with close-up shows, it can be the same. Um, a lot of agents require you, they have a standard clause for all acts, most acts, that you have to be there at least an hour before. And this is so redundant for a strolling magician. I walk into the premises, I can start instantly. I'm ready, I have everything on me. So to have to sit there for an hour, sometimes they want you to be there an hour and a half before, is such a waste of time, and I really don't like it. And if I get a situation like that, I often will try, if I can, just to speak to the people at the venue and say, look, I know the agent says I'm supposed to be there an hour and a half before, this really isn't relevant for me, I will be there 15 minutes before. Now, of course, there is a danger with this, that um, you can get delayed on the roads. And these days, but certainly in the UK, the traffic is, is really bad. Even for me down in the West Country, where you tend to think maybe the traffic is less, in the summer months in particular, because it's a holiday destination, the motorways get completely jammed. So you have to be very careful. But as a general rule, I take 15 minutes to be the time that I want to have in advance of a, of a start time for a show, irrespective pretty much of the type of show that it is. So if I have a show start, kids show starting at three, I will tell myself I must be there by quarter to three, that that is the start time. Um, the only time when I would perhaps change that is if I'm going to a venue that's a big, um, has a, uh, a big area that I might have to find my way around. For instance, doing close up in a military base. Uh, I've done a lot of those over the years. You have to be there earlier because they do all sorts of checks, you have to fill out paperwork, they put the mirror under your car to make sure you're not carrying any, anything nasty under there, and so on. So it can take a lot longer, and it may be a, a big um, area that you've got to try and find the right car park, the right building. Same with schools, so if you're working in a school, schools could be quite big, have big campuses, universities the same. So it depends on the venue, but for, um, if you're going to a village hall, well, it's going to be fairly obvious where it is. Uh, or something like that, or a hotel, then I aim to be there 15 minutes before. And, I, and this has stood me in good stead. Now, when you're doing things like weddings, weddings are a, are a funny beast, really. I, I apply the same principles, but um, weddings tend to waste your time in, in the other direction. Uh, and actually, this can be true of a certain number of corporate dinners and things like that as well. You arrive with your 15 minutes before, and you're supposed to start on the hour, and in fact you don't start for another, a further half an hour or more sometimes. And, and you have to accept that, that these things are going to happen. It's part of the job that there are times when, through no fault of yours, you're delayed in starting. Uh, and there's nothing you can do about that. But what you can control, you can't control that, but what you can control is when you arrive. And, uh, and I think that is something that, I, that I've always tried to do. Has it ever caught me out though? It has on a couple of occasions, yes, um, where the traffic was, there was an unexpected delay. And so uh, in more recent years, I have, if I've got to go through particular towns or cities, I do allow myself extra time than I used to. And of course, in the old days before sat-navs, it was all kind of trying to work it out with a map and knowing your area, thinking how long it's going to take to get there. Now, of course, it's great because the sat-nav will tell you exactly how long it should take you to get there. The only problem with that is that it, it's, it's fairly precise 
and even if it allows a little bit of extra time for sort of driving conditions, it's not going to tell you, unless you have one of these sat-navs that gives you up-to-date uh, traffic delay information, then that's fine. But I don't happen to have one of those. Um, and so you can get lulled into a false sense of security. So in certain situations, I will leave a bit of extra time. But I reckon 15 minutes, if you don't have much to set up, is about the right time. So, next time you're travelling to a show and you're sitting around and waiting for ages and ages and ages, you might want to think, you know, maybe, maybe 15 minutes would have been enough. And you could uh, try to uh, adopt that principle in the future. Now, I've seen it written and indeed heard it said in lectures on occasions that it's important when performing to get to the big magic moment as quickly as possible. And it's generally considered that that is the best way to go. People these days have short attention spans, we're told. They can't concentrate for long periods. And so if you, if you go through a lot of build-up and a lot of process in order to get to the, the climax of the effect, then all you're doing is boring people and dragging something out that doesn't need to be dragged out. Now, I can see that in, in certain situations, and, and indeed in, in certain types of effect, this could be true. Mentalism suffers from this sometimes. It's a particular bugbear of mine that, that with some mental effects um, make it so complicated to get to the moment where you prove that you could read their mind or that you, your prediction was correct or whatever it is. But that process itself is so drawn out that it really isn't entertaining and it, it, it isn't worth watching. It's just process rolling of dice putting things in envelopes or whatever it might be it doesn't always make for a, a good watch but having said all that there are lots of effects where getting to the magic quickly would be completely the wrong thing to do surely i mean an example of that might be the finger chopper i've done the tim finger chopper for years and uh, i get a lot of fun out of the finger chopper the actual magic of the finger chopper, where the person's got their finger through and you hit the blade and it penetrates their finger, is over in a second. And if you were just to get somebody up and say, put your finger in there, bang, done, then it wouldn't have any impact. It's all the build-up that leads up to the moment where you hit that blade that actually makes the magic itself certainly more entertaining if, if the presentation is funny enough. And usually with these sorts of things, there's an element of danger but also a lot of comedy can be got from that danger. And so to string that out in the right way with lots of funny lines and you go to do it and then you don't and you pause for a moment and it heightens tension and so on, it's absolutely the right thing to do. And getting to the magic quickly would be the wrong thing to do. But even if the end of the trick doesn't rely on a build-up of tension like the finger chopper does, obviously... Comedy magicians would say, well, all the build-up to what might be a relatively short magical effect, the comedy that you get with a spectator up, perhaps, the lines that you use, is all part of the entertainment. And to take that out and just to do the trick in its barest form, although you get to the trick quickly, would not be as effective. And I absolutely agree with that. If the presentation is... is funny, engaging, and is part of the journey. The journey itself is what makes the whole thing so much fun for the audience. And the magic is then, at the end, just to round it off. That, I think, is totally justified. 
it's when it's process where it's not entertaining where you simply have to go through a, a long involved rigmarole in order to get to the magic that's the bit that you want to get rid of not the entertainment and i think there's a you know there's a certain danger if you misinterpret what people are saying when they say get to the magic quickly that you could actually um, ruin some tricks by getting to the end too quickly as i was wandering around the dealer rooms at blackpool i was struck by the enormous variety these days of types of dealer that attend a big event such as blackpool the way that the various dealers set up their stall, the type of display materials that they use, whether they use any lighting or not, whether they have, for instance, some of them will have just a relatively bare table with a few very specific items placed neatly on the table, perhaps with a, a little tent card to show what it is and the price. Uh, or other people have basically what looks like an avalanche of product basically in bags tipped it appears relatively randomly over the table and and or boxes that you have to particularly book book dealers where you have boxes of pamphlets where you have to sort of run through them and sort through like you do used to with old lp records you used to go through trying to find the title that you want and the different styles it's it's amazing really now the variety i'm sure there never used to be when i first started several decades ago there never there never used to be this variety of product and presentation of those products there was one table i noticed where they'd put a couple of chairs in front of the stand and they encouraged people to sit down and the people behind the stands were sitting down as well and they were having a conversation and they were very calmly showing some intimate mental item or whatever it was that I can't even remember what they were selling now but um, it was a very personal one-to-one -one sort of demonstration then you've got someone like Mark Mason who everybody knows is one of the best and most lively demonstrators holding forth with a crowd of people around him and, and selling effectively and deming effectively and 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 keeping his crowd there really almost slightly old school and almost a a sort of barrow boy i don't mean that rudely but a sort of yeah come and see what i've got look i've got this i've got this and what do you think of this and this is amazing i mean he's he's fantastic to watch he's entertaining apart from anything else but he's a tremendous showman and salesman all rolled into one and then you've got other stands that are big production numbers and uh, vanishing ink uh, for the last two years they've had this absolutely enormous sort of stand at one end of a row which you literally have to walk through it's on two sides of you and you walk through it through a almost like a, a proscenium arch then you've got lots of um, stands that now use the uh, the the banners of course the roll-up pop-up banners for displays which gives them extra height you've got people who dem all the time and who are live but you've got others who are sitting behind the stand and look actually slightly disinterested and you kind of wonder why they're there well if you're not going to dem anything you're not going to engage with people what's the point in being there you, so you've got all sorts of different styles and 
oh Labco that's another one that struck me with their circular display lit display stand in which they've got just one item £1,100, £1,200, electronic mental items which um, are given this fantastic aura because they're in this lit circular display case. Um, so it's it's really, really interesting. And the different types of packaging, and the, uh, maybe I'm because I'm a dealer, that's why I'm interested in things like this, but the different ways that things are presented, how they're hung up so that you can see them, or whether you can see them or not, whether they're lying flat, whether they're propped upright, whether there's a, there's a display stand that packages are hooked on, whether um, there are they, you can get to the stuff where you just have to look at it. There was uh, one dealer there who was um, selling mainly illusions and he'd created with his stand space almost like a, a mini stage so that he could do his zombie or whatever it was that he wanted to perform for people in the almost in the right sort of setting. So it's so interesting the way it's all laid out. And um, and the dealers look very busy this year. Lots and lots of people in there all the time. And I'm hopefully, uh, from their point of view anyway, they will have had a very successful convention. Right, well, it looks like we're out of time. So I'll say goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the various topics that I've covered on this occasion. And I will collect together some more things to chat with you about next time. And I'll look forward to your company then. Bye for now.